Good morning. Looks like we're in the green room this morning. I'm really excited to start this three-part series in uh, the Gospels, the Gospel narratives, to uh, teach you from the Gospels about the Gospel and about Jesus and what He has for us. WikiHow is the how-to manual that you can edit. That's what WikiHow is. And when I looked up on WikiHow, how to love, how to love, you can even find that on WikiHow. Here's what it says. Love is a strange feeling that can be one of the most amazing in all the world. Sometimes the emotions associated with love are blissful, And there are times when they can really hurt. In the end, love is something most of us, if not all of us, will encounter. While there are many different ways to define love, and there are many different ways to love someone, or even yourself, here is a general guide to loving. And the guide goes on to suggest different steps, uh, up to six here. Say it. Okay, it talks about saying your love, speaking it out, empathize, putting yourself in someone else's shoes, loving unconditionally, talks about expecting nothing in return, realizing that it can be lost so that you'll value it, and never stop it. Never stop loving is what WikiHow suggests for how to love. Well, This morning we're going to turn to God's Word, which I suspect will guide us much more reliably than WikiHow about how to love. I want you to open up your Bible, if you have it with you, to Luke chapter 7, verses 36 through 50. We have the the passage up on the the, uh, overheads here, on the screens, but I, I want to encourage you, if you're a regular attender at Redeemer, to bring your Bible Uh, You might notice that we use the New International Version. That's a a good, solid version so that we can all uh, be reading off of the same version. Uh, We do put it up on the screens for newcomers and maybe if you've run out of the the house and, and forgotten your Bible. But I do want you to get familiar with where passages are in the Scripture. It's good to have it in your hand as much as you can. Listen to Luke 7, verses 36. Through 50. Now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of a woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, 
and the other 50. Neither, neither of them had the money to pay him back. So he canceled the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, before I begin to teach you from this passage, I want to take you by the hand, so to speak, and lead you into this scene as if we were to kind of enter in, if we were to be dinner guests at this party at Simon's house. Uh, You see, Pharisees were a religious sect or group that existed during the first century. They were committed to ritual purity and the law of Moses. And oftentimes, banquets that they or other upstanding members of the community would throw would be open to the public or to the poor. People could just come into the house along with the invited guests. But these uninvited guests would likely be expected to stay back away from the main table and away from the special guests. So picture the scene with Jesus and the other invited guests lying on their sides, probably on cushions, of course, like they used to do and still do oftentimes here in the Middle East, with their heads inward toward the table and their legs and feet extended outward like spokes on a wheel. Now, I imagine there was at least a a low level of chatter going on in the house. It's a dinner party after all. There's talk, there's conversation. When this woman, a known sinner in the town, possibly emerging from the shadows or some remote corner of the room, comes and stands at Jesus' feet. She's weeping. Perhaps with at least maybe a, a hint of a smile on her face. We learn later, of course, the reason why. There's, there are tears of joy, not sorrow. Nevertheless, she's weeping and weeping hard. And then she's down on her knees and, and she begins to wipe his dirty feet clean with her hair that she's pulled out from back behind her head. And she, she even kisses his feet. And then she, she reaches for a jar of perfume and she pours it over his feet. And I'm, I'm, I'm certain that the smell would have filled the room. A room that was now probably dead quiet as they watched what was going on. People were watching in amazement. And what's, 
What was amazing to them, I'm sure, was that Jesus was just letting her do this. Can you imagine if you were there in the room? What, what might you have been thinking? Is this Jesus' lover? I mean, what's gone on here? Did, did, did he break her heart and she's trying to win back his love? Or, and why isn't he stopping her from touching him? She's got a bad reputation, you know. Everybody knows that in the room. We thought Jesus might be a holy man. Evidently not. And that's exactly what Simon the Pharisee is thinking in his head. He says in his thoughts, I thought Jesus might have been a holy man, might have been a prophet. There was talk about him being a prophet. But instead, he's let this sinful woman touch her, touch him. And then, as if the scene in the house couldn't get more strange, it does. Jesus breaks the awkward silence by announcing that he has a story to tell. (laughs) Can you imagine that? He turns to his host and he says, I have a story to tell. He says, and the story is about the two people who owe money. The 500 denarii would have been about a year and a half's worth of wages. And the 50 denarii would have been about two months' worth of wages. But neither one could pay the debt. Yet both have their debts canceled. Which one will love the money lender more, Jesus asks. And Simon answers correctly. Then it gets even stranger. Now, Jesus rarely explains his parables in the public. Usually he only does this to his disciples in private. But here he does. He does in front of the entire dinner party. And notice how he does it. Just his body posture says something. He turns and looks at the woman, but continues to speak to Simon, who is surely back over his shoulder. And he walks point by point by point through a stunning contrast between Simon's lack of love and hospitality on the one hand and the woman's lavish love and devotion on the other. And he ends this teaching with a punchline. It's it's a simple but profoundly true lesson that really explains everything that's been happening in this room. Not just since this woman began to cry at his feet. No, no. It actually explains more than that. It explains what's been happening since Jesus entered the door and Simon received him with cold scrutiny and skepticism. Verse 47, this is, the, this is the punchline or the teaching. I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little, loves little. If you're going to take notes this morning, I'm going to focus on three things. I'm going to talk about the cause of love for Christ. I'm going to talk about the character of love for Christ. And finally, the confirmation of love for Christ. The cause, the character, and the confirmation of love for Christ. 
What causes the woman's love is quite simply a belief in and understanding of the forgiveness for sin that he, Jesus, offers in the good news of the kingdom, you see. She's understood and believed the gospel. We don't read about it in this passage, but it's very clear something has happened prior to this night. And it's triggered in her an outpouring of love and gratitude to Christ himself. It's obvious that she's encountered Jesus perhaps in the streets, perhaps in the synagogues, perhaps at another party where he was teaching. And she's understood the good news that he brings. Here is what she's understood, basically, in a nutshell. She understands that God is loving, but also holy and just. And that he created her and each one of us to live in a perfect relationship with him, obeying those boundaries or laws that he sets forth that are based on his perfect character. And she knew, it's very clear, she knew that she had fallen short of that in her life. She had violated the relationship with God through sin and was therefore separated from him and under his judgment even set to encounter his wrath against sin and evil. I suspect that she knew that this was the case for her even before she began her life of notorious sin. And she could do nothing about it herself. But her encounter with Jesus and his teaching about himself had made her understand that he was sent from God, he was the promised Messiah, And that he had the authority to forgive sins. Power and authority that no mere human has ever had. And she believed him. You see, within a year or two after this dinner scene, Jesus would go to Jerusalem. He would be crucified without just cause. He would be raised to new life again three days later to prove that he had the power to forgive and to pay the penalty for her and everyone else who would believe in him, including those of us in this room. But before that night, perhaps, perhaps on this, that very night before he got to the party, she had repented. She had turned away from her life of sin and turned to Christ. Trusting in Him for the forgiveness of her many sins. You see, she understood about the character of God. She understood about humankind and herself and her sin condition. She understood about what Jesus was saying about His identity and His purpose. And she understood the response He was calling for. That's a summary of the Gospel. That's a summary of the gospel, and she believed it. If you've not understood the gospel before today even, this very morning, maybe you've been coming to church for days, weeks. You started coming when Redeemer just first opened up. Or maybe you've been going to church for years. And you've heard people speak about the gospel before, but you've never grasped it. It's been like oil in your hand. If you understand it now, 
I want to invite you to put your faith in Christ and receive the very same forgiveness that this woman received. You can receive it this morning. It's yours. If you will only turn away from your sin and turn to Him. His grace wasn't just for her. It's for anyone who listens, repents, and believes. You can do that right there in your seat this morning. Or come talk with one of us after the the service this morning to ask us more questions. But it's for everyone. Even us. Now, I want to speak about not confusing the cause with the effect in this passage. Not confusing the cause with the effect. You see, her faith in Christ and the forgiveness that comes by that faith came first. And her love was a response to the forgiveness. It's possible to read the passage and make the mistake and reverse them, you see. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon used an image to describe these two things and to get them in the right order. He used the image of the roots of a tree and the fruit that grows on it to relate the faith in him and the love that it prompts in us. He said this, Her love is a golden apple of the tree of which faith is the root. So seeing these things in reverse, the faith and the forgiveness that comes with it and her love demonstrated is a wrong understanding. And it's a huge trap that many of us can still fall into. It's called works righteousness. And what works righteousness means is that it's when you and I try to do good works in order to earn the forgiveness or the favor of God. When we try to earn, okay, God, I'll do this for you if you'll give me a little forgiveness. That's the way works righteousness happens. It's a deal. It's a deal with God where we offer Him something in exchange for righteousness. And it often looks like this for you and I, perhaps. There are things that we do in the Christian life. Perhaps you attend religious services. Maybe you show some emotional outpouring during worship. Perhaps even weep. Maybe come down to the front to an invitation somewhere once again. Or maybe, maybe it's a very public sacrifice of service that you make for someone else that other people know about, usually. Or maybe it's a Maybe it's a quiet, behind-the-scenes duty that you've been doing, you've been plugging away at year after year in the church or some other place in your home. Now understand, I am not against a show of emotion in worship or elsewhere, and I'm not against people making a commitment to Christ in public or serving others lavishly or fulfilling duties that you've been called upon week after week, month after month, to do. Otherwise, I couldn't admire this woman in the passage. She's one who's showing great love here, a lavish and emotional display. But I want to caution you to ask you why you do what you do to show love for Christ. Why do you do it? 
Could it be that you're trying to earn God's favor or deserve his forgiveness with acts of devotion? I want to give you two questions for you to consider whether you're reversing the fruit of love and the root of faith. The first question, do you tend to think of yourself as better than those around you? More devoted? More dutiful? You see, acts of devotion that seek to win God's forgiveness usually create pride in our hearts. But acts of devotion that follow from forgiveness create humility. Search your heart for pride. Root it out and bring it to Jesus for forgiveness. Number two, do you tend to think that God loves you more when you're demonstrating this devotion to Him? You see, the good news of Christ is that in Him we have ongoing and permanent forgiveness. His love for us doesn't ebb and flow like our feelings for Him do. No. We can't create the root of forgiveness by simply acting excuse me, the root of forgiveness by simply acting out the fruit of love. First, we should grow the root by believing in him and receiving forgiveness for our many sins and let it turn into fruit on the tree of our lives. Now, before we move on from the cause of love for Christ, I want to address one question that perhaps has been raised in your mind as we read this passage together. It's oftentimes a question that people ask, and it is this. Did Simon have less sin to be forgiven of than the woman? It's a very reasonable question. And some of us might read this and conclude that Jesus is teaching that there are big sinners and little sinners. Okay? So maybe Simon, for example, like the debtor who only owed 50 denarii, was only forgiven a little bit because they only had a little bit to be forgiven of. Right? That's the way it goes. That's the question. But you see, this makes no sense when you really think about it. Why would Jesus be criticizing Simon then in this situation? If he truly has little to be forgiven of, then why blame him for his little bit of love that he has to show? No, a better explanation is that the smaller debt in the parable parallels Simon's unexamined heart. You see, he simply isn't willing to see his sin. He's too busy focusing on scrutinizing Jesus and criticizing the woman. And that perhaps is the way of life for him. As it can be for many of us as well. He's failed to see the size of the debt that he actually owes. Besides, in the parable, if you'll remember, it says that even though they owed different amounts, what? Neither of them could pay it. If you can't pay 50 and you can't pay 500, in both cases, you're in debt. Oh, Christians, do you want to grow in your love for Christ? Then ask God to show you the depths of your sin and in equal measure the grace that covers it. 
Once again, the gospel is our guide. You see, only we who are covered by the grace of God in Christ can ask God throughout all of the days of our lives to show us our sin. Oh, Lord, show me my sin. David praised this in the Psalms, of course. When I came to faith in Christ in high school, I thought that the worst sin that God had to deal with in me was my foul language, my cursing. I considered it a game to try to work in bad words in every sentence I spoke. But you know what? My sin was so much worse than that. So much deeper, so much farther and widespread in my heart. Oh my. Even back then, you see, His grace covered over the sins that I didn't even realize or I couldn't see. And so... Between 16 and 45, as I've asked God to show me my sin, and sometimes even when I don't ask Him, <laughs> I understand His grace better. I understand His grace better, and, and a response of love and gratitude flows. You see, in Romans 5, verse 20, it says, Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. And that's true in the whole world as much as it's true in our lives. That is the cause of a love for Christ. The forgiveness that He offers us in the Gospel. Now we move on to the character of the love for God. Of a love for Christ. We can't help but focus back up on what this woman's devotion and love looked like now that we've determined where it came from. When I consider her love for Christ, I see at least four characteristics here. Her love was, first of all, heartfelt. Her love was heartfelt. Consider her tears. Enough to wipe his feet clean. Her actions are clearly welling up from deep inside her She's clearly not just going through the motions of empty duty with Jesus. This woman shows us that true fruit of love for Christ will issue from deep within our hearts when we've experienced grace and forgiveness. Her love is heartfelt. Second, her love is humble. Nothing that this woman does seems designed to draw attention to herself. Though it does draw attention, it doesn't seem designed to draw attention to herself. Rather, her actions point us and everyone else who was in that room to the worth and honor of Christ. Her love is humble. Thirdly, her love is courageous. Consider the risk of public scorn and humiliation that this woman took to demonstrate her love for Christ. Even in this passage we see that she's already being criticized and analyzed and scrutinized. But considering what others would think of her didn't stop her. She pressed on to show her love and allegiance to Him despite the ridicule that would surely come to her. Her love is courageous. And fourthly, her love is costly. The woman purchased and poured out on Jesus' feet this perfume. She took something of value to her. 
And she lavished it on him. Her love is costly. Certainly, she is a model to emulate in these ways. But, rather than allow our attention to stay fixed on the woman's love of Christ, which we should for some time, we can't help but consider again the source of her love and the model for her love. You see, do you see that the the character of her love for Christ is simply a mirror of Christ's love for her in the gospel? She's simply doing what's been done to her. Her love is heartfelt because his love was heartfelt. The sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross was not mere wooden duty. It issued from the heart of the Father. To send his son. Her love is humble because he is humble. Philippians 2 verses 6 and 7 say, He did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. Her love is courageous because his is courageous. He endured the shame and pain of the cross. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, He endured the cross, scorning its shame. And her love is costly because His love is costly. Just last week, we heard Max speak to us from Genesis 22 about Abraham offering up his only son, Isaac, as an image of how God has offered up and provided the sacrificial lamb for us in Jesus. It was costly. Yes, the character of her love for Christ is a model to emulate, but she's merely imitating her master. And we should do the same, brothers and sisters. If you want to see your love for Christ grow in godly character, meditate on the gospel. Stay focused on the one who first loved us. One of my favorite verses is 1 John 3.16, and it's easy for me to remember because it's just like John 3.16, only it's 1 John 3.16. And it says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. Lastly, I want to look with you at the confirmation of love for Christ. As Christ Jesus speaks to the woman at the very end, it's like an intimate personal conversation in the midst of this room filled with people who are still stunned and amazed at what's been going on. And first he announces publicly what has already happened, surely. Her sins have been forgiven. That's what it says in verse 48. This is no doubt, Jesus said this no doubt, for the dinner party crowd and for her own encouragement As we meditate on the gospel, sing the gospel to one another as we did here. I don't know if you can think back to the songs that we've been singing all morning. They they echo the sentiments in this passage so wonderfully. And as we recount the gospel to one another, we can never hear too much the pronouncement that our sins are forgiving. I don't know about you, but I don't get tired of hearing that. I, I wrote out, when I prepared this talk, two of my favorite verses, and, and, and Glenn mentioned one of them. 
Psalm 103, verse 12. I love these metaphors and images that the Scriptures paint. Because, you see, God knew when He gave His Word that metaphors and images would would hook into our minds and stay there. It says in, in Psalm 103, verse 12, As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. What a great verse. And I also like Micah 7, verse 19. God says, You will again have compassion on us, or the people say this, You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. As far as the east is from the west, and sins hurled into the depths of the sea. Listen to the pronouncement of the forgiveness of sin over and over in your life and believe it. And believe it. Secondly, at this very last scene where Jesus turns to the woman, we see Jesus' pronouncement of peace on her. Verse 50, He says to her, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. You know, though our lives may be turbulent and trying in so many different ways, and, and I know that for many of you, you're going through difficult times now whether it's in family or it's in job or it's in any other great number of ways. When through faith in Christ we believed in Him and trusted Him for a righteousness that we do not have on our own, we go in peace. Because peace has been made with God by Christ Himself. And that's the most important peace to have. So we've looked at the cause of our love for Christ, which is the forgiveness for sin that's in the good news of the Gospel. We've talked about the character of our love for Christ, which imitates His love for us in the Gospel. And lastly, we talked about the confirmation of our love for Christ, which is a pronouncement of forgiveness and peace for us. Look to Christ and His Gospel to grow the fruit of of a great love for God. Will you pray with me? Oh Lord God, we praise you and thank you for the gospel. The gospel that this woman so evidently heard and believed with all her heart. Lord, we thank you that it's something that we didn't invent. It's not something that we can contrive or make up. The gospel is something that, that came from outside of us so that we couldn't take credit for it. Lord, thank You so much for sending Your Son, Jesus, and for offering us the forgiveness for, through His shed blood on the cross. Thank You for reconciling us with Yourself through Him. And for giving us the Holy Spirit, that ongoing deposit and guarantee that we are yours, His very presence. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.